Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. My name is Britton, and I am here with... Jay Allen Cross, your wonderful co-host here. Always excited to talk to you. Yes, my my wonderful co-host. How are you doing, Jay? I am doing pretty good. The universe is a funny, funny place. But you know what? I think we are all being put where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be. The hard part Mm -hmm. is trusting that. And as someone with trust issues, it's not always easy, but I'm working on it. How are you yeah. doing? I'm doing pretty well. I just ate a cinnamon bun and I have been reading NASA's recent report and sharing of the James Webb Telescope deep field universe photos i don't know All those I'm using sexy, sexy space photos it is insane my mind is blown with these images like the image of the deep field like galaxies all the clusters of galaxies is like it's like if you hold a grain of sand at arm's length they say that is the section of the universe that they took of a photo of wow yeah and like also i was reading that um that this is light captured from galaxies that have been traveling through space for 4.6 billion years. So that this is, is like, like space is so major. <laughs> I can't even like I'm I'm I why space? I have questions about space. Where did it come from? Why is it here? <laughs> like right. And the thing is, is like in each each little galaxy you see in this image has billions of planets in it. And so it's like, I can't, I don't think the, like, you can look at the image and be like, okay, yeah, there's a bunch of galaxies. Each galaxy has a billion planets in it. Mm -hmm. But like, conceptually, I don't, I just don't think we can quite comprehend the photo. Yeah, no, wrapping your brain around that many billions of things all at once and, and really understanding it and not having it be like this weird kind of cartoonish thing, you know, kind of like when you study anatomy and you like have like the picture in the textbook or whatever, but then you actually look at the muscle and it's like, that's way different. Like, you know, right? you, you, oh, you can understand it as like, oh, okay, in theory, but the actual reality of it is so big that it's like, I... You just can't. I, I can't even. Space. Ugh, why space? Right, right. So I'm just like thinking about the life that exists out there. I'm just like, there. there's, I mean, come on. Aliens. It's always aliens. It's always aliens. They're here. Yes. Yeah. They're all coming. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, with all the shit we've been dealing with lately, it's like, I don't think we would be shocked or surprised if a mothership just like appeared in the sky, to be honest. I think a lot of us would be like, oh, finally. Like, Thank God. Either save us or obliterate us. Let's just go already. <laughs> like, roll the <laughs> dice. <laughs> We're doing an interview today. Who are we interviewing? You guys, I am so excited about this one. Um, This was actually a Britain pick. Um, Britain Mm -hmm. brought this person up and I went and checked out their stuff and was like, yes, 100 times. Yes, I have to speak to this person Um, because 
one of the main things I love about doing this podcast is I get to learn things as we go. And especially people who do things that are outside of my wheelhouse. Um, I always want to speak to them because I want to know. So I'm very, very excited to uh, bring on to the show, Nicholas Pearson. Hello. Well, hello, hello. Thank you both for having me. I'm really excited to be here as well. Yes, we are very stoked about it. We have you here for um, two episodes in a row. So everybody who's listening, uh, buckle up because we're about to learn so much. Um, We're going to start off with crystals because that is um, kind of a major part of what you do. And it is a very small part of what Britain and I do. Um, So we are here to ask you a bunch of stupid questions. We're going to learn about crystals together um, and then maybe get some people buying your book so that they can learn more about our wonderful crystal friends. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you want to start us off with our first question, Britain? Yes. It's one of my favorite questions to ask folks that we have on the show And if you'd like to share with us, um, we would love to know a little bit about your astrology, like your big three, or if you know more, um, we would love to know. Yeah, this is a great question. So um, I am very, very Capricornian. I have a sun in Capricorn. I have a stellium there with, I want to say, Mercury, Neptune, and Venus. Um, My rising is Gemini, and then my moon is in Pisces. So I think like it's a pretty Mm. good mix. I've also got a stellium in Scorpio. It's not as many big things, but I've, I've got four four events happening in Scorpio as well. And so, you know, that, that desire to get underneath things and like really explore that kind of underbelly and understand how and why things work is, is pretty prevalent with that. But, you know, the practicality of Capricorn, I think shines through in the way I approach things. Like if it's not going to work, the theory is nice, but I'm not going to invest a whole lot of time in it. I I love hearing that. Cause I I've read your book, um, crystal basics and uh, the structure of the book is like, is just perfect. I love it. Well, so you. now I'm just like, you're a Capricorn. Great. That makes <laughs> a lot of sense. <laughs> I love that. Especially I have really intense Virgo placements. So I love it when Capricorns produce things because I'm like, ah, yes, you did it right. Thank you. Like, <laughs> I'm not like, um, this should have been over here. <laughs> I get judgy, but Capricorns figure it out. So I love that. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It doesn't hurt to have a great editorial team. Like certainly that's a big part of it, but oh, yeah. right. you know, I, I, I have a lot of structure in here. It's not always happening in the world around me, but mm-hmm. it's definitely on the inner plane. And when I get to translate that to a manuscript, especially having done that a few times now, I like, I'm, I've got a pretty clear picture of how I want that structure to crystallize. No pun intended. <laughs> I, I love, love puns. I, I love puns. They're great. So and then get plenty with it. Um, so kind of right off the bat, because Britton and I, as we were talking earlier, we don't really do crystals so much. We're more like rock people, you know, just like, you know, river rock or whatever. Um, but so so why crystals? What, what can crystals do for us? Sell us on crystals real quick. <laughs> well, well, first off, I want to celebrate the really humble rocks and stones that we were going to find in our backyards and in the riverbed mm-hmm. or in the parking lot, because that's how I got my in to crystals was just interested in the lithosphere before I knew that's what it was before I had the terminology for it. There's just something really magical about rock and stone. 
Mm-hmm. This was not a unique experience for little Nicholas growing up. Like this is a fundamental human quality. We are drawn to stone. There is some sort of um, reassurance that we get from something that is so stable, that is so mm-hmm. long lived, that can be so useful in many different ways. And because of that, the mineral kingdom is like imbued with so much meaning and symbolism. And we find the pinnacle of that in our our, our gem species of minerals where we've got like the greatest amount of lore attributed to them. But honestly, like rocks and minerals are great. And so let's start with a little bit of a definition here, just that way I can, if, if I go between different terms, we know what I'm meaning, but at the end of the day, I'm going to call them all rocks or stones. And if listeners use other terms interchangeably, like the mineral science, please do not show up on our door to enforce these terms. <laughs> let's start with a crystal. You know, that was the question. So a crystal is usually a solid substance. It has a regular composition. So with very little room for variation, it's going to be the same ingredients coming together um, throughout any part of the sample. So, you know, if I hold up a piece of citrine quartz like this from Zambia, mm-hmm. take a sample from here or here, it's the same alpha silicon dioxide all the way through. Um, it also has a regular repeating and symmetrical structure. So um, the, mm-hmm. the regularity of it that repeats over and over again, we call this periodicity. So it's like the same fundamental shape that you know, forms like a pattern. And in quartz, we get these little tetrahedra. It's like a, a pyramid with a triangular base um, that that kind of stack end to end and they make this little spiral, this little helix. And the way they join together gives us the cross section, the symmetry, the overall shape that we expect in a crystal. Mm-hmm. So minerals, on the other hand, are naturally occurring inorganic crystals. So they have to have the regular composition, the repeating symmetrical structure. Minerals are always solid as well. That's kind of implicit there. And then mother nature has to make them. So if we grow them in a laboratory, technically, if we're like being pedants here, it's not a mineral. Um, And then they also have to be inorganic. So something can be crystalline. And if it's made by an organic process, it's not actually a mineral. So a good example of that would be like the Um, calcium phosphate minerals in our teeth and bones are chemically identical to the mineral that we might know as apatite. And you can find specimens of apatite that are brilliant blues and gold and yellow and brown and pink and all sorts of other colors. In our bones, they're a lot more boring colored, I suppose. Um, (laughs) But because we grew them and a geological process didn't, it's technically not a mineral either. And then that kind of brings us to the idea of rock. So a rock is an aggregate of one or more minerals. You can have a rock like marble or limestone that has more or less just a singular ingredient. In, this, in those cases, it's calcite. Um, and they kind of form as little teeny crystals that get cemented together over time or metamorphosed over time. Um, you can have something with a more complex composition like granite has usually three chief ingredients quartz, mm-hmm. kind of feldspar, which is a pretty big family, and then some kind of mica, which is also a pretty big family. And then you can have lots of accessory minerals. Um, you know, granite could have some garnet or beryl or lots of other f- things that end in ite that are really hard to pronounce, so we won't try. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even some of like our favorite gemstones are technically rocks and not minerals. Like lapis lazuli is a metamorphic rock. It it started oh. out on the bottom of the sea that accreted into limestone. That limestone was transformed through orogenesis, the, the process of making mountains, and gathered some ingredients from some neighboring rocks as it was kind of thrust into the skies at the tops of these very, very high mountain ranges and transformed from this humble 
probably grayish or maybe tan colored rock into something that's a brilliant blue speckled with streaks of white and gold and, and other colors from other accessory minerals. Jade is another example of a rock and not a mineral, like the, the common variety of jade. Nephrite is a, a mixture of actinolite and tremolite, which are two members of the amphibole series. And I know I'm like speaking geologies at you, but um, <laughs> rock forming ingredients, but it's only when they come together under specific conditions that they end up being jade. So yeah. like, there's something really remarkable about um, getting to understand these these nuances. You know, something that is a singular mineral has this focus to it, this regularity. They yeah. are always going to have the same structure, the same composition, the same personality through and through. Rocks, though, are more variable. Like there's there's room for different ratios of those ingredients. Um, if a if a singular mineral, a single crystal that we might have, you know, piece of quartz like this is is like a a single instrument playing. Then when we work with a rock like granite, it's a, a whole orchestra. It's an ensemble made of mm-hmm. those different voices. So um, that's why I like to start with those definitions because it gives us an idea of what the interaction is going to be like as we connect to them. It's Mm going to give us some sort of, I think, healthy expectation. I'm big on like not being attached to outcome, but it's, it's good to know who you're working with. Yeah. That's your co-host in a podcast or, you know, your (laughs) cohort of people you work with in the office or like your magical tools. Like it's good to have some idea of how they work because it gives us clues as to what they're going to do for us. But it's, it all comes down to this regularity. If we look at all things in the kind of mineral sphere from the electromagnetic lens, Mm -hmm. to kind of go back to the science because at the end of the day we don't really know how the woo-woo stuff works we don't actually know what magic is we can we can demonstrate its effects i'm a science guy so if i couldn't demonstrate the effects i would have given up a long time ago like if this wasn't repeatable but if i if i take the scientific perspective all matter produces energy fields um, in mm-hmm. the electromagnetic spectrum and sometimes above and beyond that, but we won't go there. That's too complicated. And I don't have an advanced degree to explain that. When it comes to the electromagnetism involved, um, the more orderly a substance, then the more orderly its field is going to be. So you know, when we look at like our energy fields, the electromagnetism produced by all of the tissues working in harmony in our body, mm-hmm. they are but organized and that's the way it's supposed to be because you know our liver has a different rhythm and a different makeup than our heart versus our larynx or our brain or you know our Mm -hmm. eyelids so the the tissues involved have their own cycles and they're going to produce slightly different kinds of ranges of energy so we're kind of like a rock in that regards versus a mineral because we are made of a, a sea of vibrations that are working together but because we're biological stuff we are in a constant state of flux and then we add to this whole thing, like the idea of um, free will and personal choice and personality and our baggage and like, wow, does our energy field become so variable. But when we introduce something as clear and concise and organized as a mineral or even a rock into our energy field, we are entraining our field to be as regular, as harmonious Mm. as organized as that substance because when these two energy fields come into contact with one another they begin kind of like an exchange of information and it goes through this process that we call entrainment where the one with kind of like the louder signal and you know the secret here is the more organized something is the higher the amplitude will be the more the, the higher the volume will say um mm-hmm. will always organize the lower amplitude or, or or lower volume field so being less organized than a rock i will become entrained by that rock and that that introduces this kind of um subtle energy as well Mm -hmm. 
And when we change our electromagnetic field, we can demonstrate in a laboratory that that is maybe not a, a causal relationship, but it's definitely a correlative relationship. If, if we change electromagnetic field, we also see changes in our mood and our perception. We know demonstrably that changes in mood and perception, all sorts of um, little, little differences that take place in our neurotransmitters, both electrical signals and chemical signals, and that changes our pathology. So we enter this space where um, energy transcends pathology on this really subtle level. And it's amazing how swiftly that can work for some people. That is so interesting. Yeah, that's a lot to digest. <laughs> but it makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And especially too, like you're talking about how we'll kind of attune to the crystal versus the, the opposite. Like, because I do feel different like so i have like a big like clear quartz necklace or whatever that i wear or i used to wear i should probably go find that and put it back on <laughs> um but i i do feel different when i have it on in a, in a positive way but I, I was never sure why and so i like that that makes sense mm -hmm. i feel the same i have a um rose quartz rosary that a friend of mine made mm. me and um i went through um it was weird it was a weird kind of like uh, energetic synchronistic event where I had been really thinking about a rose quartz rosary, a very, like, it felt very mothering, warm, loving, um, kind of, uh, thing for me. And then a friend of mine who makes rosaries out of the blue, she's like, she's like, I feel really called to make you a rose quartz rosary. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> rose quartz is is doing a thing. And yeah, I love having, having that rosary around to, um, pray with. And I also use it in uh, magical workings and like candle work and stuff. I make a little circle with it, but yeah, the, that energetic influence influence is kind of what I kind of picked up is like, it feels like it's an influential, uh, relationship we have with rocks, stones, crystals, etc. cetera. Um, yeah, like you were being influenced. And, and that's just from the kind of like materials science, I want to be as sanitized about this as possible. Uh, underneath all of that, I'm still like this feral animist at heart. So I believe <laughs> there's a soul, there's a spirit in all of these members of the lithosphere. I, every part of the, the stony bits of the earth have their own consciousness. And that's something we interact with as well. And that is where the relationship part of it comes into play. It's, it's great to like sanitize things and, and do the pseudoscience route. And I recognize like we haven't, you know, done peer reviewed studies that, that show this exact kind of causal relationship that I've laid out, but it's, it's a helpful model. And, mm -hmm. you know, if we can demonstrate those kinds of things in the more measurable realm, then it gives us a clue to what might be happening in the subtle realm that we can't measure yet. But even above and beyond that, like if I sit down with a stone, it's, it's not just some kind of nebulous energetic field that's, influencing me it's the soul that's in here and when mm -hmm. we build that relationship with the same tool over and over again like you're talking about with your rosary like that is this really magical experience and it helps us go above and beyond like the textbook definition of what that rock is supposed to help us with mm -hmm. as we mm -hmm. enter into that relational space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i love that I um, and, and you also reminded me, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. It's a trail that runs from Mexico to Canada in a summer many years ago. And, you know, I thought 
I thought, it, you know, it was a somewhat of a spiritual journey, but you're, you're hiking 20 miles a day. You're really tired. You're just looking to drink water and eat a lot of food and go to sleep every day. Um, so I wasn't having a lot of profound spiritual experiences out there uh, beyond just being delirious. But um, when I made it to the Sierra, um, I had a really crazy experience with granite out there. Like I felt... It was the first time I had interacted kind of with a stone where I was like, whoa, you have a voice. Like you have mm-hmm. like a resonance that I can hear all around me. And like the texture of the rock, the way that I, when I walked on it, it was sticky, like it was grippy. And I just, I don't know, it just developed this, this really interesting um, relationship and immersion with granite. And um, there's some granite out here where I live in Northeast Oregon And, um, it's just, it's, um, a rock that seems to sing to me. It has such a melody. Mm -hmm. And I was at the library a while ago and realized that Ursula K. Le Guin wrote poems about rocks having Um. voices. I was like, this is a thing. I'm not crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that's really beautiful. I love that. I actually wear granite every single day. It's such a humble stone, but it's something that I find so useful, um, and it accompanies me pretty much anytime I leave the house. I love wow. that. Maybe I should do that. I think I need a little granite in my life. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Right. So I do wonder, and I've I've been around people who have asked this question before, and I, I guess I'm, I'm curious about your uh, answer for it. When it comes to finding a crystal, and, you know, you, you get them sold in like little points and these big clusters. Does, does size matter when it comes to utilizing crystals, <laughs> specifically crystals? <laughs> you, you know, um, I think there is a really healthy approach in telling us to use the tools that are available and accessible to us. Mm-hmm. Remind us that it is from the animistic perspective, it's definitely that kind of relational thing that is more important than the material side. But, you know, putting my science hat on, like, if we evaluate all other parameters being the same, the same, um, you know, same substance from the same location, same color and quality and and everything else, more or less the same shape. um, If we were to consider what's happening through that electromagnetic lens, again, um, the, the larger, a mineral specimen is a larger a crystal then the louder its energy field is going to be it's like having a bigger antenna or a bigger speaker mm-hmm. um you know supposing you have two speakers that are built to the same specifications one is just much larger than the other one will produce a, a louder noise and mm-hmm. bigger or louder is not better it's just louder um if i'm mm-hmm. doing work on a person, you know, I've got someone coming to see me and we're doing laying on of stones or I'm practicing this with myself. Small rocks are great for that. If I want to carry a crystal with me throughout the day, I mean, sometimes I'm extra, but usually it's something, <laughs> you know, conservative enough to fit into my pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm doing bigger work, if I'm, you know, have a, a live class in front of me, which I'm looking forward to a time when I can do that again, mm-hmm. or um, doing grids or ceremonies or meditations that are meant to impact more than just my little microcosm. I use bigger rocks for that because I want that signal to go farther and Mm -hmm. it's not a better than it's just louder. If, if I'm doing, if I'm having a conversation in a 
intimate setting, I don't have to shout. But if I need someone down the street to hear me, I have to raise my voice. And that's Mm -hmm. where the idea of size comes into play. Mm -hmm. Right. I think a lot of the time in our, in our culture and like specifically American culture, we have this idea that like bigger, stronger, faster, better. So that's like, more is always more, more. Right. So yeah, it's like a lot of the stones, like I have, I'm sitting at my writing desk, my podcasting desk, but it's also my altar. And behind me are are a lot of rocks that I collected and found over the years. And, um, and they're all very, they're very pocket size. And that's kind of like how I like to do it too, is yeah, just like have them in my pocket and, you know, kind of feel that they're there and then be able to hold them when I need to. And and then a lot of the time I forget they're there and I wash them. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, we've, we've all been there. My husband has to check my pockets every time we do laundry because yep. I, can't, I, I cannot be trusted to remember myself, although I've gotten really good the last few years. But it was a point of contention early in our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> There's oh, rocks it, in the washing machine again. <laughs> it, it just helps, you know, Just it's old school. You know, we used to beat our clothes against rocks. Now we're just beating rocks against our clothes. It's, it's all, it's all part exactly, of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that does kind of bring us to the next question really wonderfully is, is as far as regular maintenance or, or how we treat our crystals, is there something we should be doing with our crystals to make sure that they're operating at their fullest capacity? You hear about all kinds of stuff like they should be cleansed. They need to be charged. Is, is that a thing? Um, if so, how often? What what does this look like? So in the last couple of years, my practice has has kind of blossomed in new directions. And I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. So, you know, mm-hmm. the old school route was very kind of focused on like the more alternative medicine kind of approach. And that was really what the bulk of crystal literature was about, unless it was about folklore, which is a completely different creature in some cases. But um, mm-hmm. you know, really strong cases were made for the necessity of cleansing and all of these other kind of preparatory steps before you actually sat down to work with a crystal. And if I am working with clients, if I'm working with other human beings out of respect for the sanctity of their energy fields, their personal space, I want to make sure I'm not bringing my baggage into that. And because Mm -hmm. any rock I work with is an intimate friend and ally for me, I'm going to go through that process of cleansing. When I wear a crystal with me throughout the day, I might cleanse a lot less frequently. Um, You know, if I... once upon a time when I used to travel and like do sessions and events face to face, if I had a whole day book solid of seeing people, there was a a thorough cleanse between every session at the start and at the end of every session. And that's, that's like psychic hygiene kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I were going to see a surgeon, I would really hope that they had all their stuff sanitized too. And that's, that's kind of the same thing. But Mm -hmm. you know, if we take the more animistic kind of approach, it's strange to turn to this co-creator and say, you're dirty. We got to fix this. Like I am mm-hmm. deciding, I am foisting that perspective onto it. So, you know, I, I hold space for the, the in-between, like both of these things can be true at the same time. And that's kind of the nature of magic. We can have conflicting ideas and we have to learn to navigate that. Um, but one, one thing I think will probably be a hill that I die on is the whole like charging bit So like the origin of the concept of charging in a kind of spiritual context like this comes from the idea of like to charge something with the task. You know, we, we charge our herbs, not because they don't carry their own spirit or their own energy, 
we we enchant them, we sing to them, you know, um, root workers, conjurers. I mean, the word conjure to to invoke with your speech, like these are very specific kind of connotations, and that's where charge also comes from. But we don't live in the same kind of society where that terminology originated. So now, when we talk about charging, we think about our devices that have to get plugged in because they have batteries. So the connotation of the word has changed, and therefore it's shaped our experience differently. This rock is not a a finite energy supply that's going to run out like mm-hmm. the stability of it is is what gives it all of its properties so like i can't i mean unless i grind it up and and lose all the pieces i can't lose the inherent value the inherent energy of this so um i use the word charge a little bit differently and for me that's like imbuing it with an external energy because i want to have that synergy between the crystal myself and that extra phenomenon so you know, the idea of charging was really just like the co-creative invitation to, to work together on a specific task or outcome, what we might call programming or, or something along those lines. And I'm a big fan of that because honestly, programming, charging, however we're going to call it, it's really about us. Like if I program a crystal effectively, I have actually programmed my subconscious as well. And if I forget the crystal, I'm carrying that intention, that program, that work that I've laid and built into it with me throughout the day. And I also believe, you know, in a quantum universe, if I've done that work with the crystal and built relationship with it, we also work non-locally because it's that whole concept of quantum entanglement. So I can still forget Mm -hmm. the crystal and have the non-local effect of the rock. And then I've got the psychological effect of having gone through the step of setting that intention and and building the force behind it. Cause you know, intention isn't everything. We need that raw power, that raw fuel that goes into the process. Mm -hmm. Um, all of these things I think are useful, but I don't propose to tell people what their practice has to look like. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a big both and kind of guy. So, you know, um, behind me, you, you folks can see in, in our live session here that I've got tons of books. I mean, something like just shy of 500 books, just about (laughs) rock. And they don't all say the same thing. And that's great. And I've, I've kind of navigated my own path by doing it other people's ways until I found out what worked for me. And that's what I hope other people will also do. So, you know, if my discussion of cleansing and charging doesn't work for you, do what does work for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause like when I, when, when I've heard, heard about charging rocks and crystals and such, uh, you know, it's always, it's always like put it in your windowsill under the full moon and like charge your, your crystal. That's what always kind of comes to mind for me, but I really do like that. You're it's like the programming charging it with intent and, that you both have kind of like a, a mutual um, aim or goal or task ahead of ahead of you to kind of accomplish together. Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I love that. And especially kind of the understanding of it can be both, which is something I've really mm-hmm. learned along in my spiritual journey, whether it's a question about magic or if it's a question about, you know, the nature of God or the divine or whatever, anytime it's faced with a, is it this or this question? The answer is almost exclusively yes. Does, does it work this way or that way? Yes. <laughs> like, um, and, and I think that's really interesting, especially to apply it then to crystals. So interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Very into it. Now, since we're on the topic of programming, that's something I did want to talk about as well, because that's something that um, I was taught quite a while ago 
and I'm so interested because I don't hear it brought up very frequently when people talk about crystals. Can you talk about kind of this idea of, of charging them with a task or, or programming them and how maybe that works, maybe how you do it, um, why it's important, things like that? Yeah. So, you know, if we use the animistic perspective, then we have this relational being that we've invited into our lives and they're as multidimensional as we are. Um, rocks are maybe a little bit more narrow in their focus being geological things rather than biological things. Um, they're, they're more in touch with their purpose um, from like a really kind of mystical perspective. The only free will decision that a rock or mineral makes is to exist. Like they, they crystallize. That was their decision. Everything else is kind of, subject to environment and interaction with other things. So, you know, here I am, I have this rock in my life and, um, I build a relationship with it. The idea for me behind programming is not just setting an intention, but it's, it's extending an invitation. So this being who does more than one thing, we like to be reductive. We like to reduce things to these very prescriptive kind of experiences, carry citrine Mm -hmm. for money, use rose quartz for love, use amethyst for intuition, clear quartz for healing. But like, if I asked you to describe yourself in a single word, you'd have to leave out almost all of your life story. (laughs) Yes. So when we get this reductive, we miss most of what a crystal does. So the idea for me behind setting an intention is not to reinforce this kind of reductive definition of a crystal, but to invite it to focus on one of its skill sets. You know, Mm -hmm. I can have a friend who's an accountant and I can go to them for a tax advice or help and I can pay them for a session. We can do that kind of thing. But that doesn't mean the only thing they know how to do is taxes. They might be a really accomplished baker. They might be a great knitter. They might be a really compassionate listener. And sometimes that's what you need. But we have to go in setting the framework for what that experience is going to be. And it's the same with our magical tools, whether it is uh, a rock or a mineral, or whether it is uh, a candle of a particular color, whether it is a, um, a botanical ally in our garden or dried in a jar or stuffed into a pouch. Like we have to cultivate relationships. So for me, the idea behind programming is not saying do this thing. It's saying, here's my goal. Will you please help me with it? And when we do this, it might appear from the outside that it's more of that kind of mechanical, this is the thing, I'm, I'm downloading or installing an app or a program on my phone, I'm doing the same kind of thing to a rock. And that might just be because it's a helpful experience for the human mind. But I think if we do it with that kind of animistic framework, we always do it seeking permission, seeking cooperation. And it might look as simple as formulating an affirmation or an intention and holding the crystal and and repeating that. Uh, We might just hold it in our hands. We might hold it to our heart space or our forehead or anywhere else that's meaningful to our practice. Um, I love using the breath to program because breath is such a powerful way to Mm -hmm. transmit stuff. I mean, to be really unpoetic there, uh, whether energy or intention or life force, uh, I mean, breath is the first gift we receive from the universe when we exit the uterus like there we are like first thing we take in is breath so if we use our breath with intention it's a magical thing um some people are visualizers some people will turn it into a whole ritual and light a candle with a corresponding color to match that intention i mean you can get really complex or you can be really simple and i do it all i i have space for all of that in my practice 
but I tend to focus on the simplest things for starting out. So, um, you know, formulating your intention, getting it into that nice, clean, neat um, statement of intent, maybe coupling that with a visualization if you're a visual person. If you're not a visual person, then, you know, use a verbal route or some other method that's good for you and, and find a way to kind of fill yourself with that and translate it to the crystal. I use breath, but you you might picture a stream of energy. You might just hold it against you and recite something out loud and let the physical vibration of your voice carry into it. I mean, the possibilities are endless. That, that really reminds me of working with Lodestone eh, from the folk mm-hmm. magic perspective of like, you you pick out your lodestone and um, you kind you look at the shape in like kind of what direction like they say more pointy rocks have kind of like a masculine energy or like a more circular round rock has a um, feminine energy and then um, working with them building it and with lodestones it's often very much about building that relationship to to accomplish a goal or attract something um so a lot of what you just described just reminded me so much of how i've approached working with lodestones but it's funny i'll work with a lodestone that way but i kind of reserve that this behavior with lodestones with lodestones only and i'm like i could be doing this with uh the lapis that's right in front of me and the rose quartz as well probably yeah. You know, yeah, and you know, because like, I guess I've kind of uh, created a dichotomy. Am I? Ma- is that making sense between these two, mm-hmm. these two realms? So yeah, I really like your approach. Well, thank you. And you know, I think that dichotomy is a product of where we're at societally when it comes to our magical stuff. Like our most ancient ancestors mostly did not have access to the mineral varieties that we have today they they weren't using yeah. rose quartz for the most part they weren't using amethyst they weren't using peridot and ruby like um, mm-hmm. not in folk magic not in mm-hmm. folk practices the people who had access to those things were people of privilege people of power people with wealth or people with wealthy patrons who could provide access for them and that's that's why our folk magic practices tend to focus on things like lodestone or chalk or flint or you know whatever mm-hmm. was accessible in the region that our practice comes from. And um, I do my best to kind of keep a foot in both of those worlds. Although, like from the outside, I don't think my practice looks very folk magicy in my public persona. Like if you came into the chaos of my office slash writing <laughs> space and library and altar after altar after altar, which is currently just filled with rock. I recently moved and I just have all of my rocks in the, what should be working spaces, magically speaking. They're not currently because I just don't have organization in, but like, I, I, I really do. Like I, I have really humble rocks like flint and granite and slate right alongside like world-class mineral specimens that are going to be more, um, airy fairy woo woo kind of metaphysically stuff versus that yeah. you know uh, crunchy granola folk magic stuff and i love it all mm. mm-hmm. that's wonderful it's wonderful okay i have two follow-up questions on this because i'm fascinated by this particular area of this kind of programming idea um so one thing that i hear a lot when it comes to any sort of magical stuff is like, once you use it for that, you can never use it for anything else ever again. So when it comes to like charging or or programming a crystal with a certain intent, can we then later ask it to do something else? Or is that one set? And that's how it goes. You know, I'm, I'm always going to respect um, cultural, social practices and their rules. So I, I never want to inherently contradict those. 
Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, the kind of broader metaphysical movement with crystals takes a very different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to use your amethyst on your third eye one day. You're going to use it on another day when you just need more serenity. Maybe you're going to use it to cleanse someone's energy field. Like because mm-hmm. it has so many different things on its resume, um, you can use those different skill sets on on different occasions. And I'm I'm a big fan of. Um, getting to know rocks for everything they offer. And then Mm. this weird alchemy takes place. So one of my favorite minerals is rhodonite. Rhodonite is a a silicate of mostly manganese. I recently learned that science has redefined its chemical composition, which threw me for a loop, but here we are anyway. Um, So it's this primary manganese ore and it's, um, you know, traditionally used for things like um, we'll say emotional transformation and resilience and kind of like fortifying our heart center. But because I've worked very consistently with rhodonite, like very intensively for a long time, there are a lot of things that I invite its energy into my space for that are not on its normal resume. And it's kind of like that idea of like your friend who's an accountant isn't only an accountant. He might not be a professional baker. He might not be a professional mover either, but that doesn't mean you can't ask your friend for help packing up and moving to your new space just because mm-hmm. he's counted. So, you know, I will turn to rhodonite for some kind of off, you know, off, off territory kinds of things that I wouldn't do if I didn't know it so well. Um, and it really kind of focuses on building that relationship. And I think they're keen to support us as long as we do honor and respect that relationship. But, um, there is a very different kind of magical approach where we have that one tool that's focused on that one thing. And I have a handful of tools that are like that and that's okay for me. Our relationship is just fine with that. Um, that seems to be in the personality of that stone. And, um, you know, here I am full of contradictions. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I feel like the same way too, with like saints, so people will be like, oh, well, like I usually work with this saint, but like, you know, they're, they're not the saint of this area or whatever. And I'm like, still ask them because they're still like, you know, able to do more than what they're most known for, you know, like all of us are multifaceted. And I love that idea that crystals as well have so much more that they can do other than what it says and, you know, in the book or whatever. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a really good analogy. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I might borrow that. Perfect. <laughs> you credit. it. Absolutely. Um, my second question real quick is, does this programming fade over time? Do we need to redo it? Or maybe kind of just setting an intention versus doing a full ritual? Does like the full ritual make it last longer? What, what What's kind of the vibe there? So I'm going to, I'm going to put on my science hat first. And if we, okay. if we look at if we look at my proposed models for how this kind of works in the electromagnetic spectrum, um, then we have to generate a loud enough energy field to imprint upon it. And um, the the nature of crystal structures means that they're kind of like natural recorders. Um, Mm -hmm. So they can, they can hold on to an energy and essence and intention a vibration, you know, kind of ambient energy. And they will do that until they encounter a louder energy field. And, you know, it just so happens that when you carry a crystal around, there's a chance you're going to come upon other energies and your crystal being a natural recorder is going to kind of, you know, like a little tape recorder back in the day when we used actual tape, um, you know, record everything. And then it would get so full that you'd have to go back in your race and re-record what you wanted to be on there so you could play it back. And that's kind of what happens when we program a crystal, when we carry Mm -hmm. it with us. So I think 
it is a really healthy psychological exercise for us to reinforce that programming time and time again. Again, mm-hmm. you know, even even leaving Crystal at home, we benefit from this practice. The the greatest part is that it gets us really centered on what we want to accomplish or achieve. And then the fact that we're doing this with such a potent tool that is a natural harmonizer and transmitter of that intention that can amplify that intention, then we're just taking it to a whole new level. So I think it's helpful to program often and also to cleanse often, because even though it might maintain the integrity of that programming, it's going to pick up other stuff, but how much Mm. background noise do we want on the playback of that tape? So I, I genuinely encourage people, if it feels right, to cleanse often and what that means looks different for each of us. Just like how often do you wash the sheets on your bed? Like, not everyone has the same rhythm there or, or your denim for, you know, that matter. Some people do it every time they wear a pair of jeans. And like, I know fashionistas who like cry over that phenomenon. So like <laughs> there are other ways to care for your crystals as well. And it, context is clean here. Like, you know, again, if I'm seeing clients with the same rocks over and over again, really diligent cleansing because of my respect for other people's energy fields. But if it's my own stuff, I don't, I don't necessarily mind if certain things get a little bit crustier, energetically speaking. Because I'm, I'm okay with, with my own encrustations. Um, so. I love it. <laughs> we all should strive to be okay with our own encrustations, personally. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I have a big question. And um, I'm not trying to be like one of those people who are like, I was into it before it was cool. But I was. Okay. <laughs> many, many years ago, I got struck with Moldavite. I was like, I had the word popped into my head and I was like, what even is this? I did research and like was super attracted to this, this rock, this crystal. I don't know exactly what, what, what they are. Um, and then it blew up like TikTok doesn't stop talking about it. Um, what is the deal with Moldavite? Oh man. So I'm definitely in the category of people who was like a Moldavite fan before it was cool. And then by the time it was cool, I'm so sick of it. So (laughs) I have to add a a little bit of context here. Um, In addition to like being a a full-time writer and teacher, I also work in uh, an occult metaphysical kind of bookstore Um, and Moldavite something that we've always been really passionate about in this space. And um, at the start of the pandemic, which also kind of coincides with, all kinds of global uncertainty and people's desire for change. And it's also about the time we got the platform of TikTok. So like lots of factors came into this, but um, it was also a time when I was working full-time hours in the shop while writing full-time hours each week. I don't really know how that worked, but yeah, chalk it up <laughs> to my stellium and Capricorn. So Just delirium. I, yeah. Every single day we're getting dozens and dozens plural of inquiries about Moldavite. And like, it's really easy to get burnt out on that. So, you know, here's the deal with Moldavite. I think it is wonderful and it is transformational and we have just the tiniest amount of historical evidence for its use, but really everything that we know begins in like the mid 1980s forward, the, uh, the cultural phenomenon in the kind of Western esoteric and metaphysical circles involving Moldavite stems from a singular company that was not mystically inclined at first and has grown to be extremely mystically inclined and kind of created popularity for something that was otherwise unknown. And for those of you listening who might not know, Moldavite is the byproduct of a meteoric event that is millions of years old now. And it's a 
class of materials that we call a tektite, which comes from the Greek word tektos, which means molten, because it's made out of terrestrial material that on impact because of the intensity of a meteorite striking the earth, um, it, it turns sand or rock into goo, which flings out into the atmosphere and rains back down and takes on all these interesting shapes and splash forms and, and fun things that then get buried in the soils and sediments for millions of years and get eroded. And they've got these beautiful surface textures and um, tektites are found all over the world. But moldavite is unique because it's one of the few gem quality, like transparent, brightly colored tektites that you can find. It's, it's not the only one, but it is the best mm-hmm. one of the gem quality ones. And um, it comes from the Vltava River Valley, mostly, uh, which used historically it used to be known as the Moldau River. Um, so we get it mostly from the modern-day Czech Republic. But there is this strange, perfect storm of events that took place to cause the popularity of it in TikTok to create this kind of international fervor around it. And and some of it is really kind of unexpected. So um, it's never been plentiful, we'll say. There's been a lot of it, but it's never been plentiful compared to something like Rose Quartz. Um, mm. So as it became viral on TikTok there was increased demand, but supply was simultaneously diminishing, not just kind of the historical tapering off of a finite substance, because it was one singular event that created it. But we also have issues with um, extraction and mining. There, there are fewer people doing the work because of COVID. There are mm-hmm. fewer, um, you know, international trade was like all but shut down for weeks, if not months in some territories. And around the same time, because of the scarcity of the material, rumor has it that it was also declared um, like a a substance of historic or cultural value in the Czech Republic. I've never actually substantiated this, but I've heard it from several reputable people. So I I need to do some digging there. Um, And that controlled the the output. On top of all of this, we have environmental factors. Um, The changes in climate globally are also affecting how much ground is not frozen during different times of the year. So there's, there, there are fewer um, months out of the year available to actually dig for it and fewer people digging. And now millions, probably billions by now um, of people who'd never heard of it before seeing the hashtag Moldavite on TikTok. And we get this strange phenomenon of people not using maybe logic to, to, understand the experiences they're having. So they go out, they buy a piece of Moldavite and then something happens in their life and they attribute that something to Moldavite and it gets blown out of proportion. And it's those kinds of sensationalist experiences that get the most views. So now, mm-hmm. you know, things like Moldavite killed my dog or Moldavite's the reason my or family, my whole family, <laughs> or, you know, I right. bought Moldavite and yeah, these are real things that I've seen on TikTok. Yeah. You know, I overheard in, in the store once, you know, some kid talking to a group of strangers quite abrasively about how he got a piece of Moldavite and all of his friends stopped talking to him and his girlfriend dumped him and he's having trouble with all of his family. And, you know, but you should really get it. And blah, 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 and it's like very, very aggressive. I'm like, are you sure it's Moldavite or are you just kind of an asshole? Like, yeah. So, <laughs> right. There are a lot of kinds of events where people are attributing their experiences to a rock in a causal fashion. But my, my favorite, my, my favorite line about this whole phenomena is correlation is not causation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm wearing a red t-shirt today and it is overcast. Did my red t-shirt cause that phenomena in the heavens? No, not even close. If I bought a piece of Moldavite and I woke up and won the lottery the next day, 
the Moldavite probably didn't cause that, especially if we're trying to think about stones as relational beings. I haven't built a relationship with it. I don't see someone in line getting coffee, tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, I'm going to make you do something for me tomorrow morning. Like, that's just not how this works. Like, you spend time and you cultivate that. So if you're not actually building a relationship with the crystal, we can't necessarily attribute those unrelated phenomena to the stone. Um, Another analogy I like to use is it's like a, a gym membership. Moldavite might be a fancy gym membership, but at the end of the day, if you're not visiting the gym and working out and using the equipment effectively, nothing is changing in your life. And so you can buy the fancy crystal and you can tuck it in a pocket or wear it or leave it on your altar. But if you're not investing time, energy, intention, blood, sweat, and tears into that, it's not doing much for you. So I think Moldavite's gotten kind of a weirdly good and bad rap at the same time. Like if it does all of the things people on TikTok say, it is both the best and the worst thing to ever happen to humans in, in the history of time. And that, that just can't be true. And we have to really start evaluating, like, what is the experience? Like if, if it is so simple as buying something and, and my life will change, then all I'm doing is reinforcing capitalism. I'm, I'm doing nothing to reinforce crystal healing and this whole thing is so twistedly capitalist. It drove up the value of Moldavite um, in some cases, like upwards of 30, 40, 50 times what its price used to be because of the whole supply and demand thing. And it caused this frenzy on the market. And like, I mean, I'm glad I got a couple large pieces when they were really affordable. Um, But I'm really happy to work with my granite every day to work with my limestone and my flint um, and my really humble stones. I mean, you know, and my really expensive natural citrines as well, but you know, um, (laughs) I'm, I'm pleased that I can get the same kind of power out of something I find in my backyard as something that someone else is going to turn around and spend three or $4,000 on a pendant on. So Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. about that relational experience at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm really bummed because I, I like had that ping about Moldavite before it blew up and I kind of just like slept on going and getting a piece of Moldavite. I really wish I had, cause now I kind of feel like it would be impossible to go find some Moldavite to explore that, that little, that, that, <laughs> that bit of inspiration I had before TikTok was like, it'll kill your family and like make you win the lottery at the same time, you know, which I saw those videos. It was wild. People were like, like you said, like, yeah, I lost all my friends and my, my boyfriend, girlfriend on me. And, and they're like, it's all because of Moldavite and it's really changing my life. I'm just like, really? Well, and right now too, like, it's so like, you almost don't want to go into a crystal or like a metaphysical store and ask for it. Cause like, you know, that as soon as you do, the person behind the counter is just going to be like, like Oh God. <sighs> like, like there's, you can just tell just the exasperated sign that you're going to get like, Oh, you're one of those. And it's like, no, I promise I'm not. Right. It's like, you gotta be apologetic about it. It's like, Hey, you probably get asked this. It's not what you think. Do you, do you have any Moldavite? <laughs> <laughs> you got any of that well and what i've seen too since all of this is now there's like um moldavite incense and moldavite candles and it's like probably oils th- too and essences right and there's there's very little of of that actually involved in it like i'm pretty sure you can't really turn moldavite into an incense but like i I, I don't know. I've just seen it's kind of like become the pumpkin spice of the witchcraft world. It's just kind of everything <laughs> is now really? moldavite flavored. 
Oh, I love that. I'm going to borrow that one too with credit. Yeah, yeah. But we all love pumpkin spice now. We do. We do. And, And you know, like flip side of this. If you love Moldavite, if Moldavite is your jam, I'm not here to take that away from you. If you've had wonderful life-changing experiences, yeah. I want to celebrate that. I too have had mm-hmm. them with Moldavite. And like I said, I've also had them with Flint and Limestone. So, you know, like when it's pumpkin spice season, I am not one of those people who rolls my eyes and goes, oh, you're one of those. I'm like, go get your pumpkin spice girl. Like, fine. Yes. I'm going to drink yes. my matcha every day of the year. And that's me. But like, Go, go do the things that bring you joy. Go use the tools that speak to your soul. And if Moldavite is the catalyst for that, go for it. Uh, I mean, I would say probably for maybe 12 years of my life, I wore Moldavite every single day without fail. And it was great for me. And I am working with other tools right now. And I occasionally work with Moldavite, but it's just not, it's not my everyday ally in this chapter of my life. And, and yeah. I don't want to make people feel self-conscious if they got lulled in by TikTok, I think, okay, great. That means we have a new platform that are bringing more people into the fold to understand they've got other tools to empower their life. All of that is great as long as we use discernment and critical thinking. That's the only caveat here. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Jay likes to say, you got to use the noodle machine. Got to use the old noodle machine. Well, Nicholas, this has been absolutely amazing. I have learned so much in this yeah. last hour. And now I got to go start shopping for crystals. My poor husband is going to be like, no, why? Um, but it's it's about to happen. I'm very excited about it. And so thank you very much for being here. Um, we very much look forward to having you on again next week, where we will be talking about flower essences, something else I know very little about that I want to know all the things. So thank you very much for being here with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you to both of you for having me. Yeah, we love this conversation. It was so wonderful. Alrighty, y'all. Have fun out there. Go like play with some rocks, like learn a thing or two, and definitely go buy Nicholas Pearson's book, uh, Crystal Basics, right? Did I say that right? Crystal Basics? Okay, awesome. It's yes. such a good book because it will empower you to have a personal relationship with your rocks, your stones, your crystals rather than just like going through a a correspondence book being like, oh, it's good for this. It really breaks things down for you and allows you to be like, okay, you know, this particular, I'm not, I don't have the right language for this, but like maybe this formation does this or that, or could have this influence, you know, just go buy the book. It'll, it'll change your life. It changed mine, changed my opinion about crystals, rocks, and stones. So definitely buy the book, change your life. And most importantly, do witchcraft. Do it. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.